0: Today's readings are Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, and 20 and 24, and Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. They can be found on pages 796 and 916 of the Bible's next to your seats, as well as up on the screen. This is God's Word. Ezekiel 34 verses 11 through 16 and 20 through 24. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As shepherds look after their scattered flocks when they are with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations, and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, Because if you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken." Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The word of God.
1: <clears throat> I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this room, we each come with our baggage. We come with the reality of our lives. And it might be something joyful. Or there could be things, there usually are things, being brought into here this morning um, that involve pain and wounds, uh, depression, discouragement, trouble, annoyance, feuds, lack of reconciliation, all sorts of hurt and trouble in our lives. The truth is, as we sit here, we may not know half the people here, um, we may be brand new this morning, and the truth is, even though some of us kind of do our hair a little special and put on a little nicer clothes on a Sunday morning, we're actually all more of a mess than we care to admit, even if we spend a lot of our time trying to hide it. And the wonderful news from your story in Scripture is that you move towards the mess. And that's what Christmas declares to us every year that you actually entered into the messy world. And so during this time, may we experience you entering into the trouble of our lives and the joys of our lives in such a way that our lives might be changed by grace, in such a way that we might somehow be able to hold two seemingly competing truths at the same time that we are more of a mess than we care to admit and yet in christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined we ask this in jesus name amen as katie read that passage from matthew chapter twenty five as she read that chapter even even as I sat here and imagined us all hearing it together, even though I've had all week to plan how I get to respond to those words, I sort of still sat here and I I was struck by how I felt a little tension in my shoulders. I felt some uncomfortableness for the experience of, you know, allowing that scripture to be read to all of us. A scripture that um, just, isn't it a little unnerving, troubling, the image of, yes, yes, please, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the image of the sheep and the goats and judge Christ, <laughs> judge Jesus. And some will go to heaven and some will go to eternal fire based on the degree of compassion and they 'll be surprised at that there was even a situation that they were being judged on. We can't help it seems, but enter ourselves into that and wonder and begin to pick our brains. And as I said to Katie before the service this morning when we were meeting for prayer before the service, um, you know, do you think you're good enough?" <laughs> you <know? laughs> and she did that just <laughs> You know, we can't help but enter in and wonder, have I done enough? Am I compassionate enough? Would I make the cut? Which way would I go? Sheep or goat? According to the words of Jesus himself. And I want to I invite us to step back a minute and see this scripture passage within the bigger story of scripture. And as much as we might debate how do we grapple with this challenge that, You know, and see it as this personal challenge to be more compassionate. I want to step away from that, as good as that is, and I encourage you to challenge yourself on how compassionate you are. But today I want to step back and look at the broader story of Scripture and see this through a lens that I think is much more important and much more true to the Ezekiel text that we read first that prepares us for the Matthew text. And so I want to talk about leadership I want to talk about people in positions of power abusing the power that they have. I want to talk about religious leaders mishandling the influence they've been given by God. And in a sense, heaping burdens on weary worshipers. When I first moved to Sacramento, my wife and I moved here. We had one of our four kids at the time. And we were, I was. Asking questions of people and meeting people to find out what is the spiritual pulse of this part of Sacramento. Very, you know, very kind of grandiose. We're going to start a church that captures, that enters into a conversation in a way no other church ever has in this area. We're going to be the church. So I would listen to people and I, I sat down with someone once and, um, and this young man kind of gave me the scoop on his past with the church and why the church isn't really something for him anymore. He described being at a church service as a young, gay teenager and being in a, being in a vulnerable place, like a troubled place, a place in, where he was in need of care, Is how, I, as a pastor, how I would say, just need of prayer and care and how he came forward during a part of the service where people were invited forward to, to, be, to be prayed with and to find ministry. Um, and he came forward in this raw, vulnerable place. And rather than being cared for, basically the, the person in charge um, used the opportunity to, to end up embarrassing him publicly before kind of everyone there in a way that was painful to hear it described and, and brought more questions to my mind than answers. Um, and then the almost the more troubling thing is the number of times that then I, I met with other people and heard more stories like this of of people who were... stories of burdens being heaped on top of people who were just in need of being ministered to or prayed for or led lovingly in a, in a gracious direction. Ezekiel, if you caught that first passage the, in Ezekiel, God's prophetic words are coming out against shepherds. And there's a little intro prior to that passage um, about how he, basically the leaders of God's people had been using their leadership for self-interested gain. You know, power, reputation, money, sex. These are the common things that happen. And in this Ezekiel text, it's typical of how, what the Bible gives us is that it shows us that God despises the misuse of power. So much so that I love the image right before the part that, we, that began our reading. The second half of verse 10 of Ezekiel chapter 34 gives us the image of God coming and he says, I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Do you catch what's going on there? That... God is so upset, and that's the image he gives, that shepherds who are supposed to be caring for the flock and bandaging wounds and chasing down the lost sheep are instead just interested in filling their mouth with lamb chops. (laughs) I will rescue my flock from their mouths. God's intention is clear, and he follows it up with this lavish description of caregiving, of all the ways he'll care for the wounded, The vulnerable, the sheep, the lambs. And the the point is clear here and throughout Scripture that when God has his way, the vulnerable will be protected. The weak will be supported. The hurt will be held when God has his way. Oh, and one last thing. The abusers will be locked up That's in there too. And Jesus echoes and reiterates this in his parable. As he talks about himself in kind of coded language of the Son of Man, he himself is going to, there's going to be a day where the sheep and the goats are separated. Um... It's just important to know, just to reinforce that we read that scripture passage right, remember that Jesus was surrounded throughout his ministry, always looming as a shadow over what he was doing, was this crowd of the religious, entrusted religious authorities who were constantly trying to trap him, trying to kind of bait him, trying to scheme, eventually it's very clear they're scheming to get him killed. So Jesus is constantly doing ministry and teaching parables about sheep and goats and judgment in the presence of these religious leaders who are not concerned with what Jesus is saying, they're simply concerned that he seems to be some kind of threat to their power. And so they should probably get rid of him. Just remember that when Jesus says these words, that he has this audience always there. And that just a couple chapters before, in chapter 23, I believe it is, is when he, there's these seven woes on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. There's a bunch of good stuff in there. If you want to check out chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus sounds pretty judgmental in Matthew 23 but it's it's aimed at these uh, religious leaders. I'm looking for something that's in there, but I don't see it. There's a point where he says, I should have flagged it, a point where he basically says, you heap burdens on people that you're not even willing to carry yourself. So that's, that's a part of understanding when Jesus has this theme of judgment in the sheep and the goats. The Ezekiel text And the lens that comes from the Ezekiel kind of best prepares us to hear Jesus' troubling words. The lens is the abuse of the vulnerable through positions of power. And, you know, too bad we don't have any examples in today's world (laughs) to apply this to. It must be an age-old problem. There's no news stories today. People whose names are Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., Charlie Rose, and sort of our collective outrage at what is sort of like the new cardinal sin that we've all agreed we need to voice and get out in the open. Now, one thing I want to say about that and our culture's impulse to get things out in the open, it's... There's a lot of good there, but if we reflect on our, if we in this room only reflect our culture's uh, view of current events, if all we have is our cultural impulse, we'll lack any robust way through the mess of spiritual abuse. For our culture, our culture is one that prides itself in being very non-judgmental. And yet, right now, we're giving ourselves a hall pass, a permission slip, on a particular issue of judgment. And so something sits a little wrong about that, or is kind of funny with that, and I would say it's because it's not really a complete enough view to handle the hurts and the judgment and the abuse of the world. And what I would point to, um, and it's kind of my job, so no big surprise, is I would point rather to the cross of Christ. So let's end there. Let's listen to how the cross of Christ sort of paints a different picture to hold this judgment, abuse of power, current events, and your own uncomfortableness with the parable of the sheep and the goats. When you look at the cross, you see Jesus um, has been unfairly accused and brought to an execution. Jesus, the one who gave the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he's been brought to the cross by that same group that we were just talking about, the people in power, the religious leaders who've been entrusted with being kind of the shepherds of the worshipers. And so they're shown to be kind of religious swindlers and abusers in that, as they bring Jesus to the cross it's very clear that Jesus was not it was not difficult for them to use their power and pull their strings to get Jesus on the cross he was vulnerable before them and their power he was the vulnerable they were the abusers but then something funny something i don't know funny something really interesting and paradoxical and amazing happens on the cross is that in that moment suddenly the lens kind of shifts in that irony of the King of the Jews joke name tag above his head on the cross. Our, our eyes kind of shift and we realize this really is the King of the Jews. They are putting, this is God's Son they have put on the cross. And when you, when you switch that lens, suddenly those abusers standing over the vulnerable who have put him there suddenly change places and Jesus now stands is on the cross, elevated, in a sense, on His throne, and they now stand vulnerable before His judgment for being bad shepherds and abusers. The very one that they cornered and got put on this cross now stands as the judge. And what are the words that come out of His mouth? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Um, The Christian church, ever since then, has had the wisdom to rightly say to you and me, that moment, that space of the cross is a space for all of us. It's a space for you this morning and every day of your life to enter into and to see yourself in that space. And then you say, well, where am I in that matrix? Where am I around the cross? And the Christian church has rightly said to look at yourself And identify yourself not so much with the one on the cross, unfairly treated, not so much as some innocent person on the sideline crying because your Savior has been put on the cross, but to put yourself and align yourself and to view yourself through the lens of the one who put him there. The one who, whether you're the one rallying people to cry out against him, or whether you're one of the crowd who just kind of follows along and says, crucify him, or whether you didn't maybe say that, but you were one of his followers who completely deserted him in his darkest hour. Find yourself somewhere there as a part of bringing him to the cross. And that's the only transformative place to put yourself. It hurts. You don't want to put your, your pride. Your ego doesn't want to put yourself in that category. But put yourself in that place where you say, if left to my own devices, I will bend power. I will trample. I will shout, crucify. If given the right circumstances, if given a long enough leash. And then, if you do that, then you, in that space of entering into the cross that way, you get to also have that experience of going from being the one completely vulnerable before the judge to being completely forgiven and welcomed back in as sheep, tenderly chased down and sought after and brought back home, wounds bandaged up and healed. And the church that Jesus Christ created continues today, we're here as an example of it, is a church where the swindler sits down next to the swindled and breaks bread together. Where the abuser sits down next to abused and breaks bread together. Where we all view ourselves as part of the reason why Jesus ended up on the cross as joining the powerful mob to put him there so that we all find ourselves vulnerable before him and in that vulnerability, receiving grace, we forever identify ourselves with the vulnerable. If you want to have a compassion that is kind of instinctual and flows out from within you, you have to view yourself as the vulnerable yourself before God. Otherwise, you'll be serving and helping out of a sense of pride. Well, I've, you know, kind of kept my life together, but I'll help those who haven't been able to. I'm the one who kind of has it together. I'm kind of the strong, and so maybe I should help the weak once in a while. And there will always be this distance, and there will all be this, always be this kind of having to force yourself to be compassionate. And the church has all of us, the swindled and the swindlers, all moving in the direction of the vulnerable, always moving more and more instinctually towards the weak, towards the oppressed, towards the have nots, because we see ourselves. In them. We identify. So I don't know what that does for you for the, hearing the words of Jesus. But it's interesting to think that Jesus is the one who preached this parable of separating the sheep and the goats and the goats are going off to eternal fire and the sheep are going off to eternal love fest with God, heaven, and he's the one, he tells this parable, and then he goes onto the cross and basically says from the cross, Father, forgive the goats. <laughs> that's that's what it means to look at this parable within the bigger picture of Scripture. And I'll close just with this with this quote. It's in your worship guide, and I just have to I just have to mention it. It's from John Calvin who put it this way. Hence arises our wonderful consolation that we perceive judgment to be in the hands of him who has already destined us to share with him the honor of judging. Far indeed is he from mounting the seat of judgment to condemn us, how could our most merciful ruler destroy his people? How could the head scatter its own members? I love this. No mean assurance is this that we shall be brought before no other judgment seat than that of our Redeemer, to whom we must look for our salvation. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, our troubled, guilt-ridden hearts long for this kind of grace. Open us up to hear it. Open us up to receive it give us strength to push aside pride and ego and defensiveness to acknowledge our need for it and transform us, and may this be a place and a community as uncomfortable as we are with the reality that the swindled sit down with the swindlers, that Zacchaeus, the swindling tax collector, sits down with those he has swindled, and eats at the common table of the feast of the Lamb. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.